0: What's that place you've always wanted to try
1: while you're there sharing plates with just one bite
0: or on second thought, maybe not sharing. It's that good. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when American Express don't live life without it.
1: Why should you visit Kings Island? Do it because
2: less time planning means more time for this. Do it to take a one day family vacation. Do it to catch a serious case of the giggles together. And of course, do it to eat a funnel cake the size of your face. Because here at King's Island, doing something just for the fun of it is all the reason you need. Right now, everyone pays
1: kids' price. King's Island tickets just $45 online. All
3: hit radio.
0: Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Exxon Broadcast Network and the Talkstar Radio Network, as well as our affiliates worldwide across Canada, the United States, Central America, the Caribbean, South America, the Pacific Rim, Asia, India, Africa, Europe. The Exxon Nation is worldwide. My email address is xzone at xzoneradiotv.com on MSN Messenger xzoneradiotv at hotmail and our website www.xzoneradiotv.com. My guest this hour, XO Nation, is Dr. Peter Shield. And Peter is known for his World of the Unexplained Mysteries radio segments that have been heard across Australia and Europe and Asia for over 30 years. Now, here's just some of the many media credits that this fine gentleman has to his credit. Daily television shows, including Vegas Mysteries and My Special Guest, uh, Radio KLAV, 1230 a.m. in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, Let me see, Radio 2UE in Sydney, Radio 2WS in Sydney, Radio 4BH in Brisbane, Channel 9 TV in Sydney, Channel 10 TV in Perth, and that's just some of his very many media credits. We're very happy to have uh, Dr. Peter Shield as our guest this hour, and uh, Dr. Shield, welcome to the X-Zone. How are you, sir?
3: Well, thank you, Rob. It's absolutely wonderful to be back in Canada, even if it's only metaphysically.
0: Metaphysically, but you and I were talking uh, prior to going on air that uh, you were actually born and raised, or you lived for a number of years in Brantford, Ontario, which is about 10 miles from where our studios are right now.
3: Absolutely. I started my life in broadcasting with CKPC in Brantford and with Mm -hmm. the Brantford Expositor newspaper. I don't know if they're both still there.
0: They are both still there, sir, and they are both doing very well. Where did your interest in the mysteries of the world come from, Peter?
3: Well, it, it's interesting, Rob. I, uh, I started life as a photojournalist, mm-hmm. uh, originally with uh, the uh, Bramford Expositor, and then I went and joined Associated Press, and AP sent me out to the Middle East, to the island of Malta to cover the uh, then turmoil that was going on between the Maltese government and the British government over the dockyards. This was back in the early 50s. Mm -hmm. Um, During that period of time, I was assigned by the Maltese government to accompany a number of high-profile visitors, people like Lord Snowden, uh, Anthony Armstrong Jones, who came to the island, Uh, And uh, a visiting team from Cambridge University's archaeological department, headed by a gentleman called Dr. David Trump, uh, who was their senior archaeologist at the time. And David was kind enough to invite me to take over the archaeological photography Mm -hmm. for their division. And I spent the next five years photographing artifacts uh, in museums, in churches underground and overground uh, on the island, and that really turned into a a love of archaeology. And I returned then with David to Cambridge in England, uh, and uh, was another four years in Cambridge before jotting off to Ireland and then to Australia.
0: You certainly have been uh, traveling over your years as a photojournalist and uh, you know, looking at your media credits, uh, Sydney, Australia, Bis- Brisbane, uh, Perth, Las Vegas, Australia. Where haven't you been on your quest?
3: <laughs> well, I've lived in 25 countries around the world. It was rather interesting. Uh, in Australia, I mm-hmm. was called by a, a radio station, 2WS, who wanted to do some three-minute segments on mysteries of the world and I said that's impossible you can't talk about the Bermuda Triangle or flying saucers Mm -hmm. or things that go bump in the night in three minutes but anyway they sent me away to do my homework and it evolved into a 47 station uh, 20 year uh, syndication of those three-minute segments
0: Dr. Shield, please stand by, sir. You and I have to take our first two-minute commercial break. ExoNation, this hour, Dr. Peter Shield is our special guest. And his website is www.pjshield.com. That's P-J-S-H-I-E-L-D dot In the next hour, we're going to be talking about the Shroud of Turin. As Dr. Peter Shield and I continue here in the Exxon from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, about 10 miles away from Brantford, Ontario, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network and Exxon Broadcast Network. Don't go away. We'll be back right after this two-minute commercial break. Welcome back to the X-Zone. Uh, Dr. Peter Shield is with me. And, uh, Peter, you and I are going to be discussing the Shroud of Turin. Would you like to set up this clip that we're going to be listening to for our listeners?
3: Well, yes. Uh, the Shroud has been very much a part of my life, Rob, for, well, really the last 20-odd years. Mm-hmm. In 19, uh, what, what be, 1987, I was uh, hosting a two-hour radio show, very similar to your own, Um, on uh, 2CH in Sydney. And my producer came to me one day and said, what do you know about the Shroud of Turin? And I said, well, I know it exists, but I know very little about it. And it appeared we'd had a request from a listener that Mm -hmm. wanted to know more about the Shroud. And so we set up a program, uh, actually it coincided with Easter. Uh, And my uh, producer at the time, Elizabeth, was able to get in touch with the author of a book, a gentleman by the name of Rex Morgan in Sydney, Australia, who'd written a number of books on the Shroud. And he was kind enough to put me in touch with seven members of what were known as the STIRP group. The STIRP stands for the uh, Search for... Uh, um, uh, or an Investigative Study, I should say, into the Shroud of Turin. And... Um, The Sturk group went to Turin in 1977 Mm -hmm. and carried out very extensive tests on the shroud, not to prove whether or not it was a religious artifact, not to prove whether or not it was the burial cloth, as many Christians believe, uh, of Christ, but much more importantly, how, from a scientific point of view, the actual image got on the cloth. And interestingly enough, Pardon me, Rod. My throat's going. (coughs) Let me take a quick sip.
0: Sure.
3: Interestingly enough, um, uh, to this day, we still do not have an answer as to how that actual negative image, because anybody who is familiar with the shroud will know that the image on the shroud, which quite frankly is is remarkable in itself, it's. uh, um, a six-foot man, um, uh, exactly described as the biblical description of, uh, of, uh, of Christ. But most importantly, um, it's a negative. It's a reverse picture of, uh, of the face and body of a, a six-foot man. He'd been crucified. All right, Peter, and what we're this, going to do, Peter, what we're yeah, going to do
0: ahead. is we're, we're going to play the clip right now, and then you and I will come back and uh, we'll discuss it. This is a clip Exonation with Dr. Peter Shield interviewing Dr. Adler, talking about the Shroud of Turin. Peter J. Shield's World of Unexplained Mysteries continues.
2: Uh, Dr. Alan Adler, good morning to you. Good morning. Um we uh, in fact have been discussing with a number uh, one or two of the experts involved uh, in the 1978 investigation of the shroud uh, the various difficulties and problems I understand sir that you were very largely responsible for the identification of blood on the shroud
1: That's correct
2: I'd be most interested sir to hear your comments uh, particularly in view of uh, conversations we had earlier today with Dr Walter McCrone who was quite emphatic that it was just nothing more than a painting.
1: Well, what we did was to run not just one test for blood, but a variety of tests for blood. Uh, we used one of the oldest known tests for blood forensically, which is to see if one can generate the compound that produces the color in blood. That is a compound that's called a porphyrin. It's the same stuff that makes brass green. Uh, chlorophyll is a porphyrin-related structure, in the hem in blood. Is a porphyrin related structure. It's a very sensitive test for blood. We ran that, we got that. Uh, we also were able to get a number of other tests for blood. But also, most importantly, we've got an immunological test for blood. And not only have we gotten them, but an Italian investigator by the name of Bologna has independently confirmed our results and also got an immunological test for blood. So we feel pretty certain that the blood is blood.
2: Right. I, uh, I mentioned in, in my uh, brief chat with Ian Wilson in the UK uh, the fact that we, of course, have had quite a controversial time over here recently, of course, with the, with the Lindy Chamberlain case that you've no doubt read about uh, relating to the possible uh, taking of a child by a dingo. And, of course, the blood tests played a very real part in the original conviction of Lindy. Uh, of course, the trial is still going on, so we can't say much about it. Um, but uh, there we were dealing only with blood that was five or six years old. In this case, we're talking, well, at the very minimum, many hundreds of years.
1: Well, that's why some of the tests that we ran are more indicative than some of the tests that people routinely run. Some of the tests that people run for blood depend on the blood being fresh. The test that I ran where we detected the so-called porphyrin fluorescence is the blood that does not depend on the blood being and is now being used more and more for people for the archaeometric detection of blood. We've actually shown you can actually demonstrate 10,000-year-old blood is blood for this particular test, which many of the more recent tests will not. Uh, the immunological tests, we got positive results is all I can say. On the other hand, people have also gotten immunological results on blood from tomb samples that would have been equally as old if not older. So it's surprising to see an immunological test on a sample level, but on the other hand, people have done the
2: same thing with older material. I uh, forgive me asking, sir, but uh, obviously, a, a man of your faith, how did you become involved with the shroud in the first place?
1: I made a mistake of talking to somebody on the phone like I'm doing. Just... <laughs> uh,
2: you've been involved with the investigation, sir, for some years now.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, I work in the field of porphyrin, so detecting blood this way is something that's not new to me. And I had done it in the past before working on the shroud and some sticky blood cases. Uh, and so a person uh, actually asked me, would I detect some blood for him on a piece of cloth this way? Uh, then he told me it was the shrouded turret. Uh, so actually it was John Heller that did that. So right. John Heller that got me roped into this. <laughs>
2: Uh, how, how major a part has it played in your life since you became involved, sir? It
1: chewed up all of my free time. <laughs> I,
2: I, are you hopeful of being there uh, in 1988 when they carry out the carbon-14 process?
1: I certainly hope
2: so. What do you think they'll achieve uh, w- with that process, sir?
1: Well, it'll certainly tell us, you know, what the date of the cloth is. It won't tell us what the date of the image is. They right. tell us the date of the cloth. And if the cloth dates to, you know, a first century cloth, well, then it certainly continues to add to the arguments that several of us have been using that it's not a 14th century artist. Right. I'm sure people like Walter McCrone will say he used the first century cloth. Yes. But, you know, there are only so many of these ad hoc hypotheses you can use before it simply becomes more reasonable to accept the fact this isn't a 14th century artistic work.
2: How, how sir, so if you had to, uh, if, if you were pinned down, would you, would you explain the image on the, on the cloth?
1: Well, honestly, at this point, that's the one thing we can't do. Right. We think we know what the chemistry of the image is. We think we know what the chemistry of the blood is. We think that makes sense in terms of what one would expect in pathological processes for someone who was scourged and crucified. But the interesting thing is, with all the work that we've done on it, we still can't suggest a simple process by which the image in the blood could have been put on the cloth by the same process. We now feel quite strongly that the blood got in it by being in contact with a wounded body. But it's quite clear that the image had to go on there by a different process. And we really don't know how to explain that at this point.
2: Your findings would indicate that the blood could not have been smeared on the cloth.
1: No, I mean, the sort of thing we see, it looks like, at this point, it looks to us, what we're actually seeing is not whole blood, but the exudate from blood clots. So, you know, there had to be enough time for this blood to have clotted on this individual before the cloth came in contact with it. And that seems most consistent with the forensic chemistry, with the forensic biology, with the medical findings and with the chemistry that we've done.
2: The three-dimensional image that appears on the cloth, um, did that impress you in any way?
1: It sure does, because that's the thing we can't explain in a simple way. Right. We don't have any simple process that we've been able to find that would explain why that image is the particular type of image that we see. Right. Definitely not a contact image.
2: In hindsight, looking back on the 1978 investigation, Is there anything that you feel uh, perhaps was overlooked at that time? Uh, Any particular test that could have been performed at that time that perhaps should be looked at in the future?
1: Well, there are certainly tests that should be done now, but, you know, one has to realize the first time somebody does a study, you make the best guesses you can, you go in and you try to test them. And, of course, when you get through a whole bunch of tests, you find out, gee, we should have done this, we should have done that. Yes. Uh, actually, the testing was done in '78. It was really a very good set of tests. Uh, people made the best guesses they could, designed the best experiments they could, you know, design on the basis of that. And went in and really established a lot of things. It's very important, and we established it wasn't a painting, because of course a lot of the tests were designed to find out what kind of a painting was it. Right. People, in fact, did go in there with, in fact, the opinion that it probably was a painting. You know, the idea that anybody went in there going to prove it wasn't a painting is bizarre because all one has to do is look at the tests that were carried out. It was clear we were trying to find what kind of a painting it was. So it's quite a shock to find out, in fact, the data, in fact, indicates that it isn't a painting. Uh, And so, of course, what we need to do now is go back and look at tests now to tell us more about the kinds of things we did find. Uh, We think it's some sort of an oxidation process. We want to explore that further. We'd like to get further tests that the blood is blood, and the kinds of you know abnormalities in the blood chemistry to support some of the
0: forensics. All right, explanation. We're going to hold this interview right here. There's about three minutes left on uh, this interview with our guest of this hour, Dr. Peter Shield and Dr. Alan Adler, talking about the shroud of Turin. Then after the interview, Dr. Shield will be joining me to talk about the interview and to give us any updates on the investigation into the Shroud of Turin. My name is Rob McConnell, and this is the Exxon on the all-new Exxon Broadcast Network and the Talkstar Radio Network. My email is exone at exxonradiotv.com on MSN Messenger, TV at hotmail.com and our website, www.exoneradiotv.com. For more information on Dr. Peter Shield, visit his website, www.pjshield.com. Dot .com that's www.pjshield.com Dr. Shield and I return on the other side of this break with the news as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.
1: We only have tests for disauthenticity. Disauthentic. <laughs> and so, if we keep doing all of these tests and we keep finding that we don't prove it's disauthentic, then it's up to the historians, the theologians, uh, the anthropology, and the archaeology types to decide what they want to do with the data. Because clearly, then the scientific data will not be inconsistent with, in fact, this being Christ's burial shroud. And that's really the best the science can ever say.
2: Walter McCrone was quite specific in, in my discussions with him today that uh, paint pigment was only to be found on the actual image itself.
1: Well, we disagree with
2: that. Right.
1: right. Certainly, you see, the spectroscopy was done. The ultraviolet and the infrared spectroscopy, which are stuff on the whole cloth, not just looking at a sample from it, are not in agreement with that. And he's never answered that point. Right. attitude is those studies must just be wrong. Right. I mean, you know, you can't throw away other people's data because you don't agree with <laughs> it. In in we, in fact, in a peer-reviewed literature, have shown why we think our data is different from his. Right. We've shown why we think his interpretations are not correct. He's never done us the courtesy of doing the same. He's not shown why our measurements would be in error. He just says, we did it wrong. Uh, that's not science, I'm sorry.
2: If the, if the carbon dating process shows the cloth to be relatively recent, uh, where do we go from there?
1: Well, then clearly it's not Christ cloth. And then maybe people let us do, you know, the kind of testing we do to find out what it really is all about. Yes. You see, the fact that it might be a real religious artifact means we've been very limited in the amount of study, time, sampling, and the things we've been able to do. If it could be definitely established that it isn't, there still remains the intriguing problem. No matter whose closet it is, how did that image
2: get on there? Of course.
1: Of course. Because, in our opinion, it's not a pain. Uh, we'd like to find out what is it, and how did it happen. And so that would remain a scientific problem, no matter whose closet it is. And a very interesting
2: one. Well, thank you, sir, very much for your time today. Uh, it's been most uh, enjoyable talking with you, and uh, certainly uh, I know Rex has asked me to extend his best wishes to you uh, in the United States
1: sent my best to and also send my best wishes to his daughter, who I understand is
2: getting married this spring. <laughs> Most well, certainly I'll do that. Thank you so much, Dr. Alan Adler. You're welcome.
0: My guest this hour is Dr. Peter Shield, who interviewed Dr. Alan Adler going back, I believe it was prior to 1988. And, uh, Peter, in relation to the other mysteries that you have investigated, where does the shroud rate?
3: Well, absolutely, number one, uh, Rob. Uh, there, there is nothing to compare with it in the world of unexplained mysteries. Uh, I've i spent a lot of time, mm-hmm. uh, as in fact your good self, uh, talking with people around the world on every aspect of of uh, every conceivable type of mystery. What immediately comes to mind are things like Tutankhamun and the and the so-called curse of the pharaohs, yes. which. I've done many programs on it, and I'm sure you have too, um, yet all of that can be you know, put down to media hype, but if you look at the case of the Shroud of Turin, and in my book, which is called In the Image of His God, which was published at the Shroud convention last year, I make the point that over 29 people have mysteriously died who were associated over the years with the Shroud. And by the way, that includes Dr. Alan Adler, the gentleman you just heard, and the gentleman we were referring to, Dr. Walter McCrone, who was the one dissenting voice of the group that went to look at the Shroud. So unquestionably number one as as the greatest unexplained mystery in the world today.
0: Peter, what makes the Shroud so special? Is it simply the religious implications?
3: Well, uh, things. First of all, the fact that we cannot explain the image, and if in fact it does turn out to be what many Christians believe it to be—that mm-hmm. is, the cloth in which Jesus of Nazareth was wrapped at the time of uh, the crucifixion—then, of course, it is the only, the only um, image that we have of of Christ. And more importantly, from uh, uh, both from a religious and um, an archaeological point of view, it becomes one of the most sacred documents in the world.
0: Now, Peter, what has the most recent scientific investigation that has been carried out since you had the interview with Dr. Adler found or discovered about the Shroud?
3: Well, of course, that was 20 years ago. Now, in 1988, following that interview, the Shroud was subjected to carbon dating, which Mm -hmm. most people are aware of. And four pieces of the Shroud were removed and sent to different universities around the world. Those universities unanimously came back with a date, which, uh, according to their theory, Um, showed this to be a 14th-century cloth. They dated it somewhere between 1200 and 1300. If, in fact, that were true, it couldn't, of course, have been the burial shroud of Christ. But a few years ago, a gentleman um, by the name of uh, uh, Ray Rogers at Mm -hmm. the Los Alamos National Laboratory in the United States went back in and did some further investigation into the actual pieces of cloth that were uh, carbon dated. And of course, carbon dating itself is not the most reliable source of, of dating a, an object, though at the moment it's the, it's the best that we have. But they discovered that the actual piece of material that was carbon dated, that was actually removed from the cloth, wasn't in fact linen, which is what the cloth is made of, what the shroud is made of, but was in fact a piece of cotton. And it's firmly believed now by the scientific community and confirmed by the Vatican that the um, piece of cloth was cotton and was more than likely a piece of repair material that was put on there way back in the 1500s after the shroud was subjected to uh, uh, a fire in the cathedral.
0: Dr. Peter Shield is our special guest. His website is www.pjshield.com, and he's the author of "In the Image of His God." And now, where does your book, "In the Image of His God," tie into the Shroud of Turin, Peter?
3: Well, uh, I went. Uh, I went back to the island where I did my archaeological work uh, about five or six years ago, mm-hmm. and in the course of uh, of um, uh, I guess um, rummaging around in museums and what have you, I amazingly discovered an, a replica shroud of uh, of Turin. Over 37 replicas were made uh, that we know of that are spread across Europe, and generally these were made by laying a piece of material on the actual shroud itself and then transferring the image and then it was framed and and, uh, uh, and put on exhibition. The one I discovered in Malta, which dated back to the 1500s, was actually a, a present uh, to uh, the Maltese people by the uh, then King of France. But more importantly, it, it's caused a thought to occur in my tiny little mind. What would have happened if the Vatican had actually switched shrouds. If the one that actually went for carbon dating, because at this time we did a discrepancy in the material, Mm -hmm. what if the Vatican had actually switched the two shrouds and replaced the shroud of Turin with actually one that was created by Leonardo da Vinci and painted by the great master many, many years ago? And the book uh, is a historic fiction. All the facts are uh, accurate as to the uh, history of the Shroud, the people who have died, and everything to do with it. But it's tied into this fictitious plot of the Shroud being smuggled out of Italy and concealed and hidden on the island of Malta.
0: Tell me, in your professional opinion as a person who has investigated the Shroud of Turin uh, many years and, and have spoken to people and based on, on your book, In the Image of His God, what do you believe that the Shroud of Turin actually is?
3: Well, I, I again, I, I, I reiterate what Dr. Alan Adler said, bless his heart. Um, it, there is no proof for authenticity. There's only proof for disauthenticity. We can disprove that it was the burial cloth of Christ. Mm-hmm. We can't check the, the DNA. We've got blood, but we don't have a sample of Christ's DNA. So we can't identify the fact that it was actually Christ's burial shroud. But let me give you just some quick facts. First of all, the man was naked. He was six foot tall. He wore a beard and shoulder-length hair. He had an enlarged chest from trying to breathe. Now, all this is based, see, on the cloth. He had been beaten with a Roman flagrum, the uh, whip that the Romans used, a very uh, cruel, torturous punishment. He had puncture marks on his skull. He had bled whilst upright. He had suffered most of the wounds while alive. And yet the wound on the side, according to the shroud, had no swelling, indicating that the wound happened after the individual had died. Now, if you recall the biblical account. Uh, the, one of the uh, Roman guards thrust a, a spear into yes. Christ's side to determine whether or not he was still alive. So those are just some of the clues. There is dirt on the knees on the image on the shroud, and, and dirt on the tip of the nose reported to contain minerals from the Palestinian region. The blood smears on the upper shoulder are thought to be microscopic oak wood remains. And the pollen that was found on the shroud could be only found in Jerusalem. So there's an enormous amount of evidence to support the biblical story, as we understand it, of the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth.
0: What, in your opinion, uh, Peter, is the second most intriguing investigation that you carried out for your radio audience?
3: What, in terms of the Shroud, or you mean in, in terms of everything?
0: In terms of everything.
3: Well, again, the Shroud would have to have been the most incredible thing that we mm-hmm. discussed, because we were able to go into it with, with in such depth, with so many um recognized scientific authorities. You rarely get that opportunity with any of the other mysteries that we encounter from time to time. We know in... Cases like the Bermuda Triangle and situations like that, that there's documentary evidence that ships and planes actually went missing. But we also know that the coast of Florida is renowned for hijacking. And that the, the uh, Coast Guard there report that 99% of the mysterious disappearances that happen on the coast of Florida are probably based on uh, drug trafficking incidents that occur off the coast. And this is equally true of so many of the mysteries which we get to investigate over the years.
0: What is your opinion and what have your investigations turned up on the UFO phenomenon that is worldwide?
3: Well, of course, the UFOs, I'm always so critical of our alien friends because they they refuse to appear where I can see them. I I read all these amazing reports. I fly in aircraft all around the world, um, but yet I have to encounter anything. One of the most interesting subjects, um, and perhaps we might do a, a program on this at some stage in the future, Robert, if you're so disposed, is the possible intervention by aliens on archeological sites. I'm privileged to lecture on the cruise lines and my favorite lecture, or certainly the one that my guests and my audiences enjoy most, uh, is one that pertains to the possible intervention of aliens into the construction of things like the pyramids and a lot of the archeological sites around the world, which we have no explanation for.
0: How about the, the myth of the end of the world or the catastrophes that are being talked about by members of what I call the woo-woo crowd when it comes to December the 21st, 2012?
3: <laughs> the, the Mayan calendar you're referring to? Yes, sir. Yes. Well, again, um, I, I was, funnily enough, as recently as yesterday watching a very good documentary on just that subject and one of the chief um, uh, commentators uh, made the comment, and I thought it was rather interesting, that there is absolutely no documentary evidence anywhere, uh, and no mention anywhere, in any of the Mayan uh, documentations or, or scriptures, for want of a better word, that relate to a disaster taking place in uh uh,
0: tw- uh, 2012. 2012. Peter, yeah. stand by. You and I have to take our final break. Dr. Peter Shield is our special guest, exonation, www.pjshield.com. And uh, he is the author of a book that, you know, if, if you're into this kind of stuff that we've been talking about, I guarantee you, you'll enjoy this book. It's entitled In the Image of His God. Once again, that's www.pjshield.com we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue here in the X Zone from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. It
2: never comes.
1: You
0: get yourself S.H.I.E.L.D. is our special guest, www.pjshield.com. That's www.pjshield.com. The name of his book is In the Image of His God. You know, Peter, that's one thing that's always baffled me when it comes to the, the UFO phenomenon is why don't they just land? You know, why are they being so secretive? What do they have to hide? Like, if they're really there, for God's sake, Ottawa land, Washington land, London, England land, Moscow land. But you know what? I I have a theory, and I'd like to put this past you. I believe that the UFO conspiracy is not being committed by the government or the Vatican. I believe that the UFO conspiracy theory is being perpetrated and maintained by the UFO community, for as long as. By the as- media. Well, no, I, I, I wouldn't say the media. I say the people who claim to be UFO investigators, because as long as there is this conspiracy theory in place, they can say what they want without providing any evidence to the contrary.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you familiar with the time dilation theory? No, I'm not. Okay. Um Uh, It it goes back to uh, uh, um, basically Einstein came up with a theory which says that if we travel through speed at speeds in excess of the speed of light or even close to the speed of light, Mm -hmm. the rate with which our body deteriorates slows down so significantly that if we left Earth today going by the fastest possible conceived means available to us today, it would take us over a million years to reach our nearest inhabited planet, that being Alpha Centauri. And we believe now that planet B of the three-star configuration is actually capable of sustaining life. If you've made that kind of journey in support of your comment a moment ago, you sure as hell are just not going to land in some wheat field and pluck a hair out of some maiden's head and then fly back another
0: million years you know and once again we talk about cattle mutilation like why not take the whole cow why would if you're doing something (laughs) that is that is um so mysterious why would you just leave the carcass there take the carcass somewhere and dump it in the middle of the ocean where nobody finds it you know their entire scenarios make no sense (laughs) or barbecue it what the hell? exactly where's the beef (laughs) Peter, I'd like there to you thank go. you so much for joining us tonight. It's been a great pleasure. I look forward to the next time you and I meet here in the X-Zone. Give our listeners your website one more time and uh, tell them where they can get a copy of your book.
3: Okay, and I will. And I just want to remind everybody that the Shroud does go on show for the first time in uh, in many, many years. It wasn't scheduled to be seen until the year 2025. But in view of the new evidence, the Pope has agreed it will go on show this year, April 10th to May 23rd. But all the details are on the website. Um, my book, and uh, as you have been so gracious to do, promote, uh, is available on my website. That's PJShield.com. Uh, my main website is com. but that's a lot to remember. If you go to PJShield.com, you can not only acquire any one of my books, but you can also find links to all the other
1: websites.
0: Peter, thank you very much for joining us. Great talking to you, and uh, like I said, I look forward to the next time you and I meet here in the X Zone. When we come back Good from dear, this, thanks. all right. When we come back from this uh, news break, we'll be speaking to. Hi, Ari. You ready for this? Got your pens on Pempa? All righty. Lori Jacobson is going to be joining us. That's coming up next here in the Exone. After all, this is truly a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard here on the Exone Broadcast Network and Talkstar. We'll be back after the news break. Don't go away.